it all though begins with the realization that our parents are changing. They are not invincible. They're not immortal. They're aging, and、uh, we have issues to face. Seniority Authority exists to answer your questions on aging. The world has changed dramatically in a generation, with more retirees than ever before living longer with more choices. If you're an older adult or have an older adult in your life, where do you go to begin to understand those choices? I'm your host, Kathleen Toomey, with over a decade of work experience in retirement communities. I can track down the right people to answer your questions. So send your questions on aging to me, and together, let's get smarter about growing older. Welcome. I'm Kathleen Toomey, and this is Seniority Authority. Are you worried about your parents and their future healthcare needs? Have you noticed things starting to shift in terms of what they can handle on their own and what they need help with? If you've noticed changes, how do you bring up that topic with your parents? Often, it isn't easy. But t- with today's escalation in the number of seniors, the U.S. is seeing 10,000 people every day turning 70. It's a challenge that's not going away for many of us. Fortunately, our guest today can help you through this. Retired Mayo Clinic elder care professional, he's provided recommendations to hundreds of families and hundreds of adult children. As to how to start that conversation with their parents, stay tuned for some great tips that you can use to start your own conversation. Thanks to our show sponsor, the Riverwoods Group, Northern New England's largest family of nonprofit retirement communities, where active adults find community, purpose, and peace of mind. Visit riverwoodsgroup.org. Now let's hear from today's guest. It could happen during a holiday, Thanksgiving, Fourth of July. The family gathers, and suddenly it becomes clear: yet another fender bender on Dad's car. The fridge is stocked with more out-of-date food than fresh food. Suddenly, something has shifted with your parent. And you, the adult child, are concerned about them. How do you bring up that topic with your parent? It can be extremely challenging to do that, and for many adults, it's something that they would rather not do than do poorly. How do you have that conversation with your parent? This is the situation that thousands of adult children. Are facing as their parents are living longer than any prior generation. How do you ensure their dignity but also their safety? That's where today's guest can help. Dick Edwards has spent 36 years in the elder care field, 20 of them as administrator of the award-winning Charterhouse run by Mayo Clinic. Dick. 
is winner of a Lifetime Achievement Award by Leading Age Minnesota, and has spoken to more than 100 groups across the country, which led to the publication of his book, Mom, Dad, Can We Talk?, which has recently been reissued with new information. It's available on Amazon and on his website. Dick has helped thousands of families have better, more loving and productive conversations around the changing age of the parents. Dick, it's great to have you here on the program today. Thank you, Kathleen. It's an honor for me to be with you again. Yes, it's so great. We've had Dick and uh, present to a number of our prospects and residents, and everyone has gotten a lot out of the conversations that we've had. Um, and I am so glad that you have the opportunity today to share with our listeners some of the beginnings of how to have these better conversations, which I know people are honestly struggling with. Um, let's start with understanding what your recommendation is as to what is the right time to have this conversation with your parents if you're concerned and you've seen things start to change? Sure. I think the, uh, the quick and easy answer is sooner is better than later uh, before it's too late and never in a crisis. But I think also it's important to state at the outset that we're not talking about the conversation. We're talking about a series of conversations. We're not talking about a convened, uh, on-the-calendar gathering of interested parties to identify and resolve all issues related to mom and dad. But a better perspective is that of uh, a process, kind of like a uh, uh, recognizance mission, where over time we, we, we have our need to, to know certain things satisfied, chatting with our parents in settings that that are conducive to their opening up and their sharing. It, it all, though, begins with the realization that our parents are changing. They're not invincible, they're not immortal, they're aging, and uh, we have issues to face. The follow-up question to when is how and who, and I think we'll wanna talk about those two follow-up questions to the first question, which is when. So as I understand what you're saying, it's not a one and done by any means. Right. It's more of a seed planting that happens over time. Correct, correct. And that makes it a whole lot less stressful for the adult children, and I think is much less threatening to the older person. You do it in naturally occurring ways. You, you may be driving to the market. You may be on your way back from a family funeral. You may be uh, gathering for a, a, a family holiday. You may be standing at the kitchen sink doing dishes with mom. Anything that's naturally occurring that allows you, knowing that you have an agenda, to sort of broach subjects and gather the information. Who best to do it is a very critical question. The question begs you to step back and kind of look at your family and understand your family's culture, roles, and relationships. 
and a critical question when this realization comes that, oh my God, mom and dad are getting older, Houston, we may have some problems, uh, is to ask the question, who, who has credibility with whom and on what topic? You look at the cast of characters, the siblings, the in-laws, even the grandchildren, and you raise the question, who does dad listen to? Who would dare feel comfortable approaching mom on the question of fill in the blank? So that's important, um, that it shouldn't be an artificial, if you can help it, it shouldn't be an artificial situation where you set something up and you come in and you say, we're going to have a meeting, even though you as the adult child may be comfortable with having meetings on various topics. It really should be something that is naturally occurring, that you're already connected with your parent. And then what I hear you saying is, don't try and change the family dynamic at this point. Lean into the family dynamic. So no matter how it happens that, you know, the oldest son is the person that dad listens to or the youngest daughter, lean into that and recognize that. Exactly, exactly. And there are no points to be awarded. I'm not emerging finally as mama's chosen little boy. I'm just the one who, for the following reasons, it makes the most sense to assign this whole topic or specific elements of the topic. Okay. So would you recommend that in a family with more than one sibling, because if it's an only child, you don't have any other options, that you have a sibling meeting and say, okay, we all notice this. Who do we think is the best designee to have the conversation? Yeah, kind of a role assignment thing. And you, you make some assumptions. You sort of acknowledge family history, family baggage, who's speaking to whom, who's on the ins, who's on the outs. You call a giant timeout and say, look, you guys, this is coming at us. Uh, it's something we are not going to avoid. It is inevitable, and we want to do it right. Who is the best person to convene that conversation? Well, most families have a convener, don't they? It could be the busybody controlling oldest sister who never stopped being the oldest sister, or it could be uh, the, the baby brother who is always mama's favorite. So you identify legitimate, evolved family roles and you say, who best? Now, what is the most important attitude to have when you're approaching this conversation with your parents? Well, I think the you want to have a you want to go into this with either either a positive or at least a neutral attitude because you do hear horror stories from your friends and peers about, oh my God, I'm tearing my hair out with my mother. It doesn't have to be that way if you plan ahead because this is all planable for, okay? I think what is critically important in terms of attitude is to recognize that this is not about you. This is about your parent, their wishes, their needs, their values. Uh, the end goal here uh, is very clear. We want to honor our parents. We want to do it their way. We want to respect each other in the process and in the end, and we know how this ends, our parents die, we want to be able to be that sibling or that family membership group that says, you know what, we did it. We have no regrets. How do you get to that no regrets 
state at the end of life is you plan for it. You talk about it. You anticipate, and then you participate. I like that. Plan, anticipate, and participate. And I also like what you just said, which I think is kind of let's start out with the end in sight, which is we don't want this conversation to weaken our family. We want it to strengthen our family. And to and I think that can be uh, it can be stressful when you have multiple siblings who have multiple ideas and suggestions. Uh, it can be destructive if you don't have a plan and a, in an organized fashion to go about things. I mean, and I do think it's important. I don't think it's morbid to hang on to the notion of how do we want this to end? We know how it's going to end. What state of mind, what state of family do we want to be in as we exit the synagogue or exit the cemetery or exit the church because mom and dad have died? Pretty bold, but true. That is, that is bold. When you start the conversation, um, with your parents, uh, and I think it's, it's an, as you said, it's an evolution of conversations. Um, in your mind, Dick, what is the most important need to know information that you as an adult child should start by seeking? Okay, so to, you're, you're asking me to kind of prioritize uh, what you really need to know. Exactly. Okay, so I think, first of all, you need to know the absolute practical. Mom, Dad, you have a will. Who's the executor? Is there a lockbox? Where's the key to the lockbox? Do you have an advanced directive? Transactional, very practical, checklist sorts of things done. We know what to do. I think the next level would be what if? Mom, Dad, or Mom, what if Dad goes first? Dad, what if Mom goes first? What about the farm? Is there a circumstance under which you would consider leaving the house? So you sort of have what-if scenarios, anticipating things that, that might become an issue in your family as your parents age, and then you build uh, the need to have a conversation around that. Okay, that makes sense. What if you have a parent who refuses to have the discussion. Oh, that never happens. That never happens. It happens all the time. Uh, and I think you have to be clever. You have to know the cast of characters. You have to know, uh, for example, my feisty Irish Catholic mother would talk about anything to anyone, anytime, all the time, ad nauseum. My bullheaded Norwegian Lutheran father rarely made eye contact and used very few words. So the refusal to discuss it is real, it's unique, and you gotta think about some workarounds. Um, the story of Leonard. Leonard was that bullheaded Norwegian Lutheran who didn't like to make eye contact, was a widow, and viewed his son as a pimple-faced 13-year-old with long hair when he was really quite successful and avant-garde. Knowing how our family communicated, knowing that my dad wasn't like accessible, a great guy, but not verbally accessible, uh, I tore my hair out, as did my sister, until I realized there's more than one way. What doesn't he do? He doesn't sit down, pour a cup of coffee, and spill his guts in a conversation with his son. 
but he does read. So I wrote him a letter and I put it in an envelope and I set it on a table next to the chair where every night he watched Wheel of Fortune. And I knew that he would see the envelope and he would open it. And in that letter, I thanked him for being a great dad. I thanked him for always being there for me when I needed guidance or counsel. And I said, here's one more time. And I listed the questions and he responded. So you find ways to work around. You can't assume that everybody's ready to just sit down, roll up their sleeves and go. What's, you know, past his prologue. So how is your parent normally dealt with this sort of stuff? Are they to the best, secretive, we don't say anything, or we tell the world and let's talk it out? Good. So understanding exactly how to work around and perhaps going back into your past and saying, when was the last time you've had a hard conversation? Right. And then then, then my the question also going back to the beginning is, who best to do this? You know, I think there are circumstances in my family where our three children and their three spouses and our six grandchildren would be well advised to pick one of the grandkids to approach me on a difficult issue like letting go of the car. That's a really interesting thought. Who has credibility with whom and on what issues? This is, this is our need to know. So you have the very practical, you have the what if. The third item on that priority that I think we should all aspire to is the very personal, okay? Um, we know how this ends. There are no do-overs, okay? So what do, what do I need to know? That's the practical. You make two lists. What do I need to know and what do I need to say? Think about that. Uh, it's a new level of challenge in that relationship. You get all the practical stuff. You do all the what-if scenario. You get a sense of, well, we talked about that when this comes up. But what do I need to say to my parent? I love you. Thank you for being a great dad. Thank you for uh, carving the, the pine box race cars the night before they were due because I forgot to tell you. Mom, thank you for welcoming in the three women I brought to you as the final choice. I mean, what is it that you need to say? What do I need to know? What do I need to say? And that becomes your, your directive for these conversations that we've already agreed will be taking place over time. The other thing about that is, uh, back to the siblings, we all don't live in the same town, we all don't live down the road, we all don't have equal status in this moment with our, or availability with our, with our aging parent, uh, but we need to be in the mix, we need to be in the loop, and even if we're estranged from our sister or currently ticked off at our brother, everyone needs to be connected, and everyone can do something. I may not be able to be on site to deal with this or this, but from a distance, I can deal with this and this, and then I feel that I am doing something, and I'll have, be much more invested in it. You talked earlier about who's going to, who is going to be the single point of convening. Well, figure that out, but then the other thing you want to do is you want to share information. You want to share information with everybody. Mom and I went to get our hair done today. On the way back, we were stuck in traffic, and the subject of uh, Uncle Larry's funeral came up, and she said under no circumstances did she want grandchildren giving eulogies. They were just silly. Note to self, note to sibs, can the uh, grandkid eulogies. 
And I think that's a perfect example of a naturally occurring time when you're referring to someone else's funeral and say, what did you think of that? And, and get their reaction. Tell the story about, about the widow who, whose son would take him every week to play cards with another widow friend. They had been work colleagues. Son goes to pick up dad. Dad gets in the car. He starts grousing about his friend. Oh, you know, he was late. He, he didn't shave half of his face. He can't remember what suit we're in. And uh, I, think, I think he wet himself. I don't know why his kids don't do something. Well, says son, perfect opportunity. Geez, Dad, if, if that like ever happened to you, what would you want us to do? Give me direction. And I think that's an important piece when you talk about asking parents what they want. So uh, one of the things that I think is important is to try to make sure that you don't impose your own idea of a solution onto your parents and to, to preface any conversation with, exactly what you said, what would you like me to do? In fact, the, the way I phrase that question, when we need to get it down into like one phrase, basically this is us saying to our parents, mom, dad, we want what you want. Tell us what that is. In all of your conversations that you've had with people, are there any things that you would say is something that you should absolutely never do or absolutely always do. So it sounds like one of the things you should always do is to defer to your parent and say, we want to know what you want us to do. Are there famous ways of not shooting yourself in the foot that you would recommend? Well, I think you want to be, you know, to, to, to be someone cliche, you want to be honest, you want to be transparent you want to let them feel that they're in the driver's seat always. Never, never imagine that you know what it's like to be 80, 85, etc. Uh, how presumptuous of you. And remember, this is not about you, dear. It's about mom and dad. Um, one of the things that, that I ask children to be mindful of is, is the whole process of aging. You know, aging... Growing older is fun. You get a lot of perks and pleasures and, whoa, I'm, I'm, I'm this, that, and the other thing. Um, aging is not so pleasant. There are not a lot of perks. Uh, aging is about loss. And if the adult child is beginning to think that mom or dad is digging in their heels or being difficult or obstinate, just step back and remember all that they have lost. And any wonder that they want to duke it out with you on the question of giving up my car or moving into town. Step back, have that understanding. And then with that understanding, you kind of go from there. Good, good answer. Another quick thing, Kathleen, and this would be a whole nother discussion, but you talk about what if your parents don't want to have the discussions? Very often in my travels, aging parents come to me and say, my kids won't talk about it. My kids think I'm still the mom they had when they were in junior high. So how do you, how do you, how do I, as an aging parent, um, approach it with our adult, my adult children, our adult children? Because if you work that, that works both ways. And I think some of the the uh, the principles are the same too. You just have the older person taking more initiative. You know. Exactly, but every in every age, you can avoid reality. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. And again, I think kids 
have this sense of mom and dad as just kind of always being there, you know, invincible, immortal. Nah, you're not old. Nah, it's just arthritis, you know. And I think in a lot of ways it is, it's different for each family where that, where that disconnect is and where that level of acceptance is in terms of, because it's because you don't want your parents to age and you want them to be there and vital for your whole life. And so nobody wants to push anyone into, into frailty, I guess. And again, to be respectful, to not impose, to take your cues from them, working off a, a need to know, need to say uh, list that you have so that you can honor their wishes and do it right. Exactly. In your book, you mention building a benevolent conspiracy, and I love that concept. Can you unpack that for our audience? Sure. You know, we're at a point in time where we don't live in the same town as our mom and dad. Uh, the siblings aren't, you know, within a driving distance. We're scattered all over. So as the, as the good daughter or the caring son, uh, you, you can't always be on site. You need to put together this benevolent conspiracy that becomes your eyes and your ears wherever it is your mom and dad are. And that requires just a little bit of work, but it's a creative process and kind of fun. Uh, you call your mom on a Sunday evening and she'll say, you'll say, well, how you doing, mom? She'll say, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine. And she doesn't sound fine, but she's really great. Or she'll say, oh, I'm terrible. And she's really not terrible. She's fine. So how do you test that? You know, moms are like that, particularly with sons. A little guilt uh, going there. Uh, you, you resource the community. Where is she? What are the resources of that community? Is there a visiting nurse? Is there a home health care? Does the parish have a program? Um, is there Meals on Wheels? Who are the people in her life there who you know or could get to know who could be kind of come your eyes and ears in absentia? Uh, the postman, the gal that does her hair, uh, the, the parish nurse, the, the person who delivers groceries. Get those people sort of on your team and let her know, Mom, I'm watching you. Remember how you always watched me? I'm watching you. And, and then you pull those people into play so that you have some ongoing sense of, okay, this is what she's saying. This is how it reconciles with what my team is saying. And now I can gauge uh, my response. I can gauge my expectations. So it's benevolent, good, and it is a conspiracy, but kind of fun. And, and I have found that, that the, the older person kind of gets a kick out of that. They get a, they get a sense of he does care. Well, yeah, I would think so. Oh, he's calling my bridge partner to see if I showed up or, you know, or she's talking to my hairdresser to know that I got my hair done and that I look good today. I had a friend who told me that that what he did when he heard this spiel is he called his high school sweetheart who lived and still lived in the town who his mother never forgave him for not marrying, and she became the eyes and ears, which, which is kind of cute. It's kind of cute. I like that. And I also, I think part of that benevolent conspiracy thought and the notion that everybody can do something is staying in touch. You know, let, let's agree that we have six grandchildren. There are seven days in the week. You take Monday every week. You call grandpa. I don't care if you have anything to say. 
You don't text him. You don't Skype him. You don't whatever, whatever. You get on a telephone, tell the kid what that is, and you call grandpa. How was your day? Here's how my day was. You need anything? Talk to you next week. Tuesday, 4 o'clock. I mean, you see what I'm saying? So you have this network of family members who are not stuck with it, but they're taking their up at bat to stay in touch. And that gives the older person, particularly isolated, a tremendous amount of, of support. You can feel that love. Somebody took the time to pick up the phone and say, hi. I love that idea. And it's something that... I can do that from wherever I am. And if grandma or grandpa is a little sophisticated and can do this or can do stuff on their phone, show them how to do it. Cool. I think that's so important, um, especially when we think about social isolation. What is your feeling of the impact of social isolation on older adults? Well, unless you're a bowed, uh, celibate, cloistered person of the cloth, social isolation is, I think, the number one killer of the mental health and the well-being of older people. Most of us are wired to be connected at some level. And with or without COVID, just the, the frailties and the challenges of growing older causes people to, to withdraw. So social isolation needs to be acknowledged. It needs to be countered and uh, managed as you, as you deal with aging parents, particularly if they continue to live in a residential setting that's, that's home to them, that they're very invested in, that they refuse to leave and will respect that, even though it makes absolutely no sense. Um, You've got to be able to do that. You've got to be able to assure that social interaction of some kind. Well, I've read that loneliness has become an epidemic uh, with older adults and is a leading cause of early death, uh, just the, the lack of interaction. Yeah, I can believe that. And, it, you know, there again, you got to know the characters. you got to know the family. How important has this always been to mom? Uh, dad, I find that very often in mar long-term marriages of, of my type, uh, it's amazing how the woman uh, typically is the one who has brought these friendships and bridge groups and travel groups and book studies into the relationship. And when mom dies, the enabler, the convener, the facilitator, dad is just sort of out there with, where did these people go? I don't know how to do this. It's a hard thing to learn at an older age. It as as everything gets gets a little harder to learn at older age. You spent a good portion of your professional life working at Charter House, which is a retirement community. Um, what would you? What do you think are the reasons that someone would move into a retirement community, understanding that people love their freedom and their privacy? And, you know, I have such a built-in bias. So, I, you know, respect the needs of your parents, their wishes, their desires. Don't impose yourself. However, having said that, I, I, would, I would approach it somewhat like this. Older people will often say they don't want to be a burden to their kids. 
And I counter with, you are a burden to the extent that you don't plan ahead, take initiative, and kind of write your own script. Point number one, based, based on your needs and desires and capabilities. Point number two, as a parent, you are just never, ever done being a parent. You worry, you stew, you fret, you have no, no need to do that, but it's who you are as a mom in relation to your little baby boy or a dad in relation to your little princess. So I say, this is just one more thing you do for the kids. You strategically position yourself or yourselves, when, when the husband and wife are still together, in an environment that is basically worry-free, secure, a 24-7 response to any need you have in the need equals response equation, and it totally changes the relationship that you have with your adult children. They no longer have to squeeze in a visit to uh, Exeter to check on mom, to make sure that the fuel tank has been filled for the season. Uh, they don't have, and see what I mean? So it frees us up to just, let's go get our nails done. Let's go out for, uh, let's go visit the, uh, the hardware store and smell the rubber tire. I mean, it gives you freedom from all of the stuff that you feel and, and ought to be concerned with, it frees you up for just, pleasures. And and the social isolation part, I love that too, because is all you have to do is step out the door and you'll find someone to argue with, bitch about, learn from, or become a friend with. And if you don't like it, you turn around and you go back into your home and you close the door until you feel like it again. So I am a, I'm a, not everybody, it's not for everybody. It requires a certain level of social skills. It requires some resources. Um, but if I, I think everybody should learn the concept. When I ran Charterhouse, I never let my marketing people be called salespeople. We were not salespeople. We were educators. And our job was to teach this lifestyle, this concept, to persons who we thought needed to hear about it, their children, and they themselves. Educate them. This is what it is. This is how it works. And here's how it might be of value to you. So I'm high on it. Um, again, it's not for every, everyone, but step back and at least consider it. Because once you're in there, uh, it is like not just, you know, we talk about how it's safe and secure and worry-free, and it's all of that for, for, for the older person, but it's really, really a relief for the kids. Thank you. Take my inheritance. Move into Riverwoods or Charterhouse. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I think that's a, a very good perspective is that, you know, and this is what we at Riverwoods also try to do is educate people about this choice uh, that so many people aren't familiar with and consider it and then start having that conversation. Uh, with your kids and, and think about if if not this, then what? What is your plan? I tell a story of Lorraine. Lorraine was a feisty, independent woman who raised three off-the-chart accomplished kids. Uh, she was a, a, 
widow, her husband had died. Uh, the kids were physicians, and one was a Rhodes Scholar, but they were afraid to death of her. And she was damned if she was not going to move into any place like Charterhouse, even though I ran it. We were social friends on the side. Uh, she was driving the kids nuts. They would send her to me, to the principal's office, you know, quarterly to give her the talk. And I knew it was silly. She and I would, you know, have a cup of coffee, and she would go. Um, and I would say to the kids, yeah, I talked to your mom. But one time I was tired of it and the kids were exasperated. And I said, Lorraine, Christmas is coming up. You've got four kids, all those grandkids. You don't want to shop. Let's give them one gift this year. Give them just one gift. Here, fill out the application to move into Charterhouse, sign it, give me the deposit, wrap it up and give it to them on Christmas Eve they will be thrilled because you haven't moved in because you're not going to move in, but at least you've satisfied them that you're on Dick's list. Whew. That's a great idea. Now, did she ever move in? She didn't because she couldn't at the end. Oh. It, 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 circumstances evolved um, and she wasn't able to, but we won her over. The kids knew that if something happened, this is that, you know, what if scenarios. She was in the queue because at that time we had a long waiting list. You just didn't call up Riverwoods and say, you know, today's Friday. Can I move in on Sunday? You know, it doesn't work that way. I think that's another important thing is that um, you can't move into a CCRC typically when you need help. So many people think, I'm going to wait, I'm going to wait until, and then they wait until they need assisted living or, or nursing yeah, care, yeah. and it's too late. You know, that's short-sighted, and, and I, I used to get that a lot, too. Uh, and then once everybody's in, you know, if it's a couple, somebody dragged their feet, somebody's blaming the other one for getting, you know, I mean, you got all the dynamics of relationship and family, but they're in, they're settled, and almost without exception, three months into it, four months into it, they say, why didn't we come sooner? It's a lovely place to live, and it's a lovely way to live. It is a lovely way to live. And I think that if, which is why we have, often we have residents talk to prospective residents, because don't take it from me. Take it from someone who just moved in uh, during COVID and talk about how happy you are that you did this, you made this this change. Um this has been such a delightful conversation. I love talking with you. I'm just going to ask before we wrap up, is there any advice that you would give, any last piece of advice that I didn't ask that you would give uh, an adult child who is thinking of having a conversation with their parent? Well, I, I think clearly the recognition is that you have to have it. Go back to the basics in our Judeo tradition. Judeo-Christian tradition, we are commanded to honor our parents. You want to honor your parents. You want to do it their way. You want to be responsive to their wishes and their needs. And you want to recognize that we know how this ends. And there are no do-overs. There shouldn't be any could have, should have, didn't. You want to be at the end of the line saying no regrets. That's perfect. And for those of you who do not have this yet, I would highly recommend Mom, Dad, Can We Talk by Dick Edwards. You can get it on Amazon. You can also get it at www.momdadcanwetalk.com. It is being reissued with new information this year in another month, Dick. 
at first of the year, right now. Pre-order it. It's a great guide. Share it with your siblings and your family. Um, Dick, I want to thank you so much for being here today. Um, I know that this session has been recorded, but if you're listening or watching now and you have questions for Dick, don't be afraid to post those questions on our website, senioritiauthority.org, and we will reach out to Dick or maybe have him back for a second show because it does take, it's not just one question and you're done with your conversation. Well, a lot of us need help along the way. Um, so don't be afraid to post questions about today's episode on our website and we will have them answered. Thanks to our show sponsor, the Riverwoods Group, Northern New England's largest family of nonprofit retirement communities, where active adults find community, purpose, and peace of mind. Visit riverwoodsgroup.org. That's our show for today. Did it spark a question? If so, send us your questions at senioritiauthority.org and we'll track down the answer. Meanwhile, don't forget to subscribe, like us on Facebook, follow us on YouTube, and rate us on your favorite podcast platform. Until next time, let's get smarter about growing older.